second segment of iArt New York on Radio Free Brooklyn. Brought to you by your hosts, Rebecca Major and Isabella Gola. I'm Rebecca and Isabella is sitting next to me and we have the pleasure of having in the studio Katya Rohofsky, who is joining us again. Thank you so much for our second segment when we're going to be um, discussing two recent exhibitions in New York City. These are like really large blockbuster retrospectives. One is of Andy Warhol at the Whitney Museum, and the other is recently closed a survey exhibition of Sarah Lucas at the New Museum. The aim of this comparative is to reveal new aspects of these two influential artists and to discuss uh, our thoughts of the exhibition's presentations. I hope that our discussion today will offer the opportunity to explore their work in greater detail and to bring to light new aspects of their work through our conversations about the exhibition. So I'm really excited to open the floor. Absolutely. And I thought that that would be really good, um, you know, pair of the two iconic figures, but iconic from different, you know, perspectives in time and, and geographically. Um, Sal Lucas coming from the Young British Artists Movement, 80s, 90s. Um, and Andy Warhol being the, you know, huge pop star. Um, and just to mention the Sarah Lucas All Naturel was curated by the new museum artistic director Massimiliano Joni and his associate, um, who is now, uh, becoming one of the, um, chief, uh, curators, Margaret Norton. Um, and Andy Warhol from A to B and back again, curated by Donna DiSalvo, the chief curator and deputy director of the programs at the Whitney Museum. And, um, like the, the first, the first thing I, I was thinking about, um, is like when you enter the space and you breathe in what you see, how the, the works, uh, play out in the architecture of the museum, how they are curated because cura in Latin means to take care of how the works are t- taken care of in terms of um, the space. And I felt like Sarah Lucas, when you enter, it just, I felt immediately emotionally connected with the, with how it was shown, how it was choreographed in the space. The, I felt uh, it was abundance of objects and the intimidating overwhelming colors on the walls. And I, I felt like, wow, I feel like I'm inside of um, a psychological space at first. In comparison with Andy Warhol, I felt like I'm entering some kind of tableau, like a, a, a commercial tableau of didactical kind of, you know, uh, lead me by the hand. And it, it was also uh, chronologically orchestrated, but it, it rendered more as a commercial. It was very commercial show. It is still, it's up until uh, uh, March 31st. I wonder what was your feeling about this? Like just that this impact of coming into the space. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that there was no correct point of entry for this Lucas exhibition. So you right. can kind of enter at any floor and feel like, it's 
quote unquote correct, even though her career spans 30 years. So there is a beginning point of the exhibition and chrono- chronologically and an end. Whereas the Warhol was more based on a chrono- chronological system. Like I felt like that was one of the ma- main ways that the curators expected or wanted the, the viewership to kind of flow through the work. But With yes, the Warhol, was- it was the first retrospective in, in the U.S. since really? uh, 1989. So that meant that was like a huge responsibility, you know, resting on on uh, mm. the Whitney. Wow. And so it was like a how- safer. It was a safer type of. Um, system that they constructed what, for viewing the work. Maybe. I think it brought, um, and from like what, uh, um, you know, Donna DiSalvo was talking about, I think she wanted to bring more, uh, clarity into the work. There was this, this comprehensive exhibition was like, the, it, in, in the, involved like the most amount of work from like work of Andy Warhol shown historically in the United States. Um, it, it was massive. So I think she wanted to bring this, like, you know, organize it and really bring the clarity and show when there was the painting chapter and, um, and then the, the, when the media came forward and when he met the threshold with his painting, how, how that happened, all, all that narrative. So that was maybe good in terms of like organizing his legacy in the context of time as well. But still, I, I felt like I was like led by the hand by, you know, mm-hmm. by the curator. And here is this and showing me with like the pointing stick. This, <laughs> this looks like the window display. And that's what it's supposed to be because he was working as, mm-hmm. you know, a shoe designer and, uh, you know, in fashion industry. And then all of mm-hmm. the tableau of that chapter of his fashion, uh, you know, work and, and shoe design in that pocket mm-hmm. and, and I felt like, like I know all this, but yeah. I think it, 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 me- it meant to bring that background, um, and organize the knowledge for the viewer that may, maybe, uh, you know, may have very basic knowledge or no, no knowledge of like the background. What did you think? Well, a full disclosure, I haven't seen Andy Warhol, but there's mm. a reason. Mm. And I, uh, I've, I've seen, okay, of course, I'm biased towards female artists at any point. Um, but I love Sarah Lucas. So to me, I've seen it three times. I haven't seen Andy Warhol. That says a lot simply because I have seen so much of Andy that I feel I'm a member of Whitney, so I can go anytime. So I'll go next week and I'll, I planned a day and I was like, <laughs> okay, I'll go. It, I'm almost dragging my feet. And I actually am a fan of Warhol. A lot of his films I actually really love the empire, you know. The, the experimental films, the whole, like the more experimental Warhol to me, the commercial, all the, you know, it's less interesting. So I, I, I've seen a lot of his work over a year, like my whole life, I feel. So to me, Sarah Lucas, also, I think maybe chronological thing is because he's dead and it's easier. Sarah's here. She was very much in charge of installation mm. and you can tell. Right. Absolutely. It's, you can tell. From like the eggs thrown <laughs> at the wall. I, I felt like, wow, I felt like relieved by looking at that mm-hmm. wall. Um, and then how it continued that motive of the, you know, the, the yellow, which you can assign all the symbolism of the fertility of and symbolism, all yeah. of these, you know, the eggs. Uh, yes. <laughs> 
but it was so relieving uh, to even just look at that and think about abstract expressionism or whatnot, or not even that, but just the relieving uh, gesture of throwing 1,000 eggs against that wall to create that color. Yeah, and in fact, it wasn't the only piece that she specifically made for that show. That that car that was severed in half Mm -hmm. was made for the exhibition. Mm -hmm. So she created new work. And I think that's already just right there. It's, it's completely already diff- different. Two different mm-hmm. shows entirely. And well, I'm, well, absolutely. I'm, when yeah. when um when she was in grad school, you know, he was uh, like already dead. So like nineteen right. uh, eighty seven oh, was eighty seven. He died. So I think that those are the differences of like the past icon, but like still living and then like having that impact now. And what does it mean right now? You know, what does his work legacy mm-hmm. mean? And then her, when she's there actively, you know, mm-hmm. uh, with curating of the shows and the, the car, um, that you mentioned was a collaboration with, uh, Damon Hurst, Matthew Barney, Matthew Barney. She borrowed his studio. I, for the production, yeah, for the production of the show. She was, and other than that, it, that's as far as the collaboration. I, I'm sure that, I mean, he has or major, maybe assistance and cigarettes or production. You know, it, like, it feels like a very macho move to but deal which with is the it, car. Yes, which I like it, from coming from her. Yes. It, exactly. She's dealing with that issue right. directly. I yeah. feel like that's kind of what she was doing. And sitting, you know, in that massive photograph. Right, because um, there. the artist Roscoe did the car it was yes. like a severed oh, car, severed that, car. Was, that was um it was a citroen like that yes. car that was it was melded together into a different form and then of course there's the um the henning cars in the guggenheim oh mm-hmm. i saw that wow roscoe uh, as well no. no um there's so much there's like a, a it's, an, it's a male artist of oh, male artists that where nostalgia had uh, like you know a car as well by one of the eastern european artists there's like many cars which is which is the sort of extension of like the you know the male gesture of this like it was the jaguar um mm-hmm. it's a british car mm-hmm. and I, I thought it was, you know, in the gesture, she does a lot of appropriation of like the ready-mades, mm-hmm, you know, the, mm-hmm. the found objects. That was the found car, but like, you know, it's, the, then she does this, uh, kind of very feminine informed, you know, embroidery gesture mm-hmm. with the cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought that that was really, uh, kind and of Chris poetic. Burden did a piece with a car too, was, a photograph yes, where that's he's right. splayed over that's a car. Right. So the, no, there's is fascination which, which with Sarah's the automobile. Which Sarah is actually very aware of all that, and you can tell she knows exactly what she's subverting. Because I, I think that's that. Well, all the boys have touched, <laughs> have yeah. done the car. I'm going to do the car. Let me do something yeah. with the car. Um, that was very. And she did talk about the fact, like presiding over, you know, um, spreading her legs. It's a very boy. It's mm. very male stance presiding over something godlike. There's this car in her photography. Yes, in her, in her photo- self-portraiture. Mm-hmm. Um, and and having and she that, really plays up the androgynous, boyish, yes, tomboyish yes, kind yeah. of look. And she's always mm-hmm. clad in like loose jeans, not tight jeans, but no, like loose no. jeans. And she plays with that. Yeah. What is feminine? What mm-hmm. is femininity? What's interesting in person? She's she's a small woman, quite feminine, but she's wearing jeans and sweater. 
it's it's almost a uniform. But then she talks about um, what does that mean to like spread your woman spread, and um, well, that's become such a for anyone who's ridden subways in yes. New York City. That's suddenly a t- hot topic now, and I've been noticing it more and more since it's it is, been explained it is, to me. It is it's really. I notice it all the time. I, I, all the time. Topic. I, I notice that. Time. And I even give like a stare, you yeah. know, like if I see a, 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 a woman or a pregnant woman or, or a woman with kids and there's like two guys taking uh, the whole space mm-hmm. with like yeah. man spreading. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say, I actually excuse me, would you make a, a sitting of, space? I know? asked a man about yeah. that because I thought it was a yeah, physiological thing, like because they have, you know, stuff, you know, whatever <laughs> that we don't and we can cross our legs easier. And I thought it was just, that. Right. So I was kind of giving them space, like literally, uh-huh. for that. But then a guy told me, like, nah, they're just assholes. It's literally taking up space. It's it's <sighs> it's taking up as much as they can. Um, and actually coming here, I I saw a guy full take up half of the bench, fully. I mean, he, he was almost on like I don't know, could do ballet, you know, really out there, legs spreading. And everyone else is like tight together yes. and a lot of them are women. No one says a single thing. Um, it's and it's, it's, it's out of hand. It's absolutely For anyone who's not from New York City. It's gotten out of hand. Just let you know. Yeah. It, it can be really bad. But, um, I, I kind of, I've several times would squeeze and just push their knees together. I've done it. Ooh. Yeah. And you know, they don't say anything. Now. All right. I'm going to try that because I, I'm try, I try not. <laughs> they can't say much today. Because it's right. Well, I feel like it's, it's gotten worse since Trump has been elected, yeah. to be honest. Like, it's given mm. them an extra ounce of <laughs> bravado. Like, I can do this because Trump is president. Like, I think that is something. It'll change. <laughs> hopefully. Because I'm, I'm. Yeah, the certain vulgarity that, you know, yeah. the, the, the vulgar and the sort of, you know, the white supremacist kind of, you know, uh, narrative that uh, just men all of a sudden feel like they are permitted to, mm-hmm. you know, to exhibit in everyday life. I see a lot of aggression on the subway between men. I have seen a lot also, of, yeah. this like polar, polarized, you know, mm. energy. Um, it's, it's really scary. Um, and it brings, you know, like the guts of like the, the, the mm. lowest common denominator of like what the public discourse have become uh, coming, you know, <laughs> yeah. coming to the surface. Mm-hmm. You know, and I can't, I think, I really hope that we can only get better from here. I think we have touched the bottom and I yeah. hope there's <laughs> well, those are no lower we can, we can fall. words. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, you know, we can only go up from here. Uh, <laughs> coming back to the work, the Jaguar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How, um, that's the, uh, you know, the severe two, 2003 Jaguar, um, you know, X type. From the this Jaguar going to heaven 2018 piece, and the next thing that she covers in cigarettes was the crucifix. That's right. And that was right in the same room. Mm-hmm. And there was another work. Uh, there's a series of, of of works which I you know I find very you know this like associating with like the embroidery you know like this very mm-hmm. feminine gesture. And then it's very autobiographical. She's some sort of like creating this like encrustation. She's encrusting these objects with uh, cigarette butts as if counting, you know, counting days, yeah. counting mm. how many more days, you know, for mm-hmm. like the next chapter, how many waiting, waiting. Right. Because patiently. they're not that cigarette 
but there is this element. They're actual cigarettes. They're actual cigarettes that can almost be seen as a form of offering. Like, um, mm. it's not necessarily mm-hmm. a disrespect, right? It's not detritus. It's valuable objects, maybe even desirable to a smoker. Yeah. It's, um, to cover something like, but that she reveals her feminine side because this That's idea of thinking, repetition yeah. mm-hmm. and seriality, like this idea of like counting and is a very How many more days feminine. Yes. Like my next thing. period. Yes, yes, it is. It, I, and I embroidered too. There's yeah. this almost woman's work that she does refer to. What does it even mean? Um, right. What is woman? What is but man? You know, I, that kind of. And then that leads me to thinking like, um, does her work have the, is it, you know, uh, does it have the gender identity? When you walk in, mm. you don't know whose work that is. Would you be able to tell, you know, is that the mm. Richard Prince, you know, kind of, you know, feel of like the cowboy with like cigarette butt and then like that kind of reference to the cigarette from like the commercial and the sort of like, you know, the male dominant kind of like I have, you know, the the privilege to like smoke whatever or like. The, co- mm-hmm. the commercials of like, you know, 80s, 70s. And then you look at how it's done. You look closely and you see all that precision. Mm-hmm. And you think this, you know, you see that poetic and that, you know, the, the embroidery element. And that's when it, you know, breaks for me that narrative. I, I was thinking about that. Like, would you be able to uh, assign gender to her work if you wouldn't know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Her gender. I think some works you can, some you can't. Or, I mean, where she appears, mm-hmm. that's one well, thing, but, yeah. of course. But then there are works that actually, there's something I relate to as a body of a woman, even if they're more abstract. There's something about the way she even manipulates them or even found objects. The, the, the chicken or the, you know, the, the toilet. Or the pig. The pig. There's something. Mm-hmm. It's It can be androgynous, of course. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what it is as an artist, as a, as a maker, I can kind of relate on the, this viscera that she's quite visceral. And that's actually what I learned through the years of working with female artists and myself is it's part of our DNA is to be visceral. It's we're bodily, we're mm. something. Um, so there's this, I can, I can see her, even though she's not overtly feminine or what does it even mean to be mm. feminine? But. It's an interesting point because some of the work maybe can't tell what it, who it, who made it. Maybe that's she wants that to be. I mean, like from that, like the know. the definition that the status quo that we are you know subverting all the time and you know mm-hmm. uh, undermining you know like the hetero kind of heteronormative kind of you know politics that are imbued like with. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about the the room of sculptures with um, mm-hmm. with the stockings, the stocking sculptures. And how they they carry that um, intimate erotic quality. They are very surreal, but also very you know very down to earth mm-hmm. kind of bodily uh, figures. And how like the casted the brass casted versions become like all of a sudden these like removed kind of distant and cold you know surrogates or stand-ins of the the stocking the fragile. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, eroticized stalking formations. Mm-hmm. And then, and then the, you know, the pedestals I had, like I was stumbling over these pedestals with like the bricks, like are the bricks supposed to like toughen up the, the fragile stalking 
you know, mm. structures or are they just, you know, something else? And it, what yeah. what's up with the pedestal? The, the, the room was like mm. cluttered with these sculptures. And I, I like that. I like that feeling of being overwhelmed and lost in a maze of all these objects. And this polarity, this kind of dialectical between the, the stocking, the stuffed stocking on the brick pedestal versus the, the brass, the cold removed, more monumental uh, MDF board, wooden, you know, MDF board mm. kind of uh, pedestals. It's, Do you remember that room? Yeah. And it's interesting because that was my least favorite. <laughs> I And I think it's because I'm such personally DIY found object person that when I was studying her, um, her f- early work with found objects with, um, you know, the kebab and the mattress, how simple and direct and very, it's a woman, a woman made this work because she's talking about the, this direct thing, the sexuality being seen as a table with a vagina. That's what I am telling you what it's the gaze, what it, the patriarch is doing to us. That's very f- female work to me. And that's feminist work and it's activist work. So to me, that early work is what drew, drew me to her. And it still does. Mm-hmm. I love that room with all, you know, um, and then also with the billiard tables, with the stockings over the chairs. Um, it's raw. And I think, of course, the com- commodification, commercialization of the brass and the cast figures. I understand why. And they're beautiful. Right. They are they're mesmerized. They're, they're very beautiful. Yeah, they're yes. mesmerizing. They're mesmerizing. The, the polished. Totally brass surreal. And, and, it's, and a, it's kind of growth it's, of it's the It's like artist a very too. Jeff Koons. Yes. Kind it's almost seductive object. And for her, like it's a right step. But for me, just literally instinctual viscera, which is as an artist to artist, I just went straight for the, my favorites and the found objects and the early works that I was so happy to see again. Cause I started in London when like not in the 90s, like two, early 2000s, but I was, I saw that work in the Tate and I saw many of these works. So coming back to this again, I just love them. And it's more of a irrational response. It's, it's in, yeah. intuitive. Whereas the brass, I, I felt it more intellectually. I would say one of the major differences between her environments or her Muslim scenes is that you can step into them Mm -hmm. and the brass objects are artworks in this, in the way that we understand art history. Like it's on a pedestal, it's there to be looked at, but the other work really envelops you Mm -hmm. and, and asks you to emerge into it, step into it and walk around the billiard table or walk into these environments. And um, there's almost, you almost expect to smell. Yes, I I did expect to smell. I think it was funny, especially with the eggs and and the early works with the objects. But I feel like the brass, it's actually, that could be any gender. That could be a male Mm -hmm. artist making beautiful, expensive work. Um, This work I saw in Venice Biennial, in person and she had bronze and brass, those, all these stocking um, mm-hmm. figures. And I love them the way they were there, the way she kind of intervened into a particular space in Venice. Um, and they seemed more feminine than they did in the new museum mm-hmm. because simply of all the other male work in the Venice mm-hmm. Biennial, I felt, oh, Sarah. <laughs> and she <laughs> made, you know, it made a statement of having this beautiful bronze and brass of this more feminine mm-hmm 
kind of stocking figures. But here, uh, comparing to the raw objects, they felt it could be anyone. It could be, it, it is Jeff Kunian in capitalizing on something. And Well, to be honest, like, besides the polished, glossy mm. bronze, they, uh, they reminded me of his balloon pieces. Yes. Just formally, yes. because yes. she's stuffing pantyhose. There, I saw a parallel. But also that's where it enters back to Warhol. I mm-hmm. feel like that's what his commercial side and his Warhol was obsessed with capitalism. That was his whole, I mean, he was obsessed with making money. If you read his biography or, yeah. I mean, it's whole, every day he would call people, buy my stuff, give me, give me money, give me, oh, all right. obsessed with money, printing, like literally. Yeah. He was literally like screen printing yes. money <laughs> on the canvas, yes. trying to be, you know, more the most original in that after doing the Campbell soup mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. Uh, and the Brillo boxes. I mean, uh, it, and he totally, um, you know, he was, creating his agency his mm-hmm. his goal was to create um his brand as a pop artist that's different from mm-hmm. all other artists of his time and how to make himself original how how to make this you know this brand um and he you know he succeeded yeah, i was um, just going to say he was he's one of the most successful artists of all time so what does that mean to be obsessed with capitalism and then literally be a capitalist artist in the end? That's interesting because I feel Jeff Koons really went after that model. Yes. Right. But he, he overdid it. And now mm. he's being sued by everybody. Mm. But, and, 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 and rightly so. But, and he's now just one of those artists that you're like, oh. but, um, I'm interested in that early Jeff Koons compared to Warhol. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of parallels. Yeah. A lot of like 80s, the early 80s stuff. Um, and I actually really like early Jeff Right, Kunz. because it becomes really complicated. At what point are you mimicking the model that you are subverting at the same time and intelligently commenting on? It's like a, a looping effect. And, um, but I think that's where I think Warhol gets away with it. And he's brilliant still. Whereas Jeff Koons, yeah. like you said, it, it ends up, Caving in on because, him, in a sense. Yeah, because it's, Jeff Koons chases the fetish and the sort of the mm-hmm. collectible mm-hmm. feeding, you know, into like the middle class, like, you know, sensibilities mm-hmm. of collecting objects um, mm-hmm. and, you know, all, all like the figurine culture, which he just how he transgresses. It's just monumentalizing, just maximizing yes. that that, you know, very fetish uh, and using know, the object, most the, amount the of money of, to make it. Right. Subjects, so and, uh, for Andy Warhol, I felt like, you know, the way he, uh, grappled with this idea of, of the larger than life, um, narrative of like the public discourse was what was, uh, he was constantly sensitive to the currency of what was happening in the news. I think my favorite time of his, um, of his practice is when he was going after the dark, the darker undertones of the popular, uh, you know, discourse narrative. Like the JFK happened, and and uh, when he was when he did the portrait of uh, Marilyn Monroe after she or committed the suicide, execution mm-hmm. of the Rosenberg. Those yes, yeah. he responded to uh, responding difficult to, uh, yes, events yes. of the time, the, the accident. Yes, the, so yes. responding to the the veneer of the popular mass culture, but touching on the existential element in that and i think that's where his work gets most complex mm-hmm. to that extent it's still it's still the veneer it's still 
um, you know, digested through the mass culture and the, the, you know, the animal of capitalism and whatever they sell as the news, mm-hmm. as what's important, like what tragedy is important, still chosen by the capitalistic mind. But I think this element of like the, the darker psychology of the, of the collective mind, uh, when that entered was like that had the most dimension. Otherwise everything's kind of flat on the surface mm-hmm. um, with, you know, the Pepsi Cola bottle and, and the Brillo box and everything's liter- literary on the surface. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, this is not the mirror. Yeah. I will, I would like to like call that off. This is not the mirror for me. He will not be my mirror, Andy Warhol. Mm, mm. You're dead. He <laughs> <laughs> still lives on, though. <laughs> yeah, he does. One aspect that I do think there's a, a parallel between Lucas and Warhol is that their constant quest for experimenting with different media and and also asking questions through that search. I think mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. an interesting parallel. Like both of these artists really have moved through different phases of their career where they don't get stuck on one idea and just, you know, think that's it. They really are, you know, researchers. They're searching. Andy Warhol had um, his production mm-hmm. company where he promoted and uh, yeah. fostered musicians. He had the factory and movies. He had. I mean, magazine. So many, magazine. I mean, it's just so many and the paintings. And-, and and he really was the true interdisciplinarian. Yeah. If you think about it, he really yeah. in kind of instituted that. And I mean, he did really think about society and the whole famous, everybody will be famous for 15 minutes. It's internet. So we are living in, in you know, in if he was alive, where would he be on the internet? And he would be all over our screens. He would be doing things with Instagram. I mean, we know this is, I really do think, um, I sometimes do actually look into his work in my research for, um, there are certain things I don't like. Like, of course, he's done a lot of work, but this kind of research mind of his and the way he understood society and capitalism really is interesting in, from marketing point of view. He was brilliant. Um, understanding what capitalism needs because he wasn't from here originally. He was an immigrant, so he understood something else be, uh, about, about it and how he took advantage fully. I mean, he understood right, so, ce- celebrities' culture, right? Yeah. He understood screen culture. He understood magazine culture, interviewing people. I mean, he was brilliant. Like, yes, I do have absolutely. to give it to him. <laughs> like, <laughs> he, he would totally, you know, hijack the commercial pattern mm-hmm. with, like, inserting, you know, just him simply contemplating on eating a hamburger, which was this year included into the Super Bowl commercials, mm-hmm. by the way. Yes, yes. I and did I, watch yes, I Super saw, Bowl. Yeah, yeah I, I don't and, watch, but I watched but that. <laughs> that was, I think he would really like that, being oh, part of uh, the Super Bowl commercials. And a huge, very humble, very humble. And a huge <laughs> billboard on Canal Street. Mm-hmm. You know, what is it? Burger King. Burger King billboard. Yeah, and so, how, how many people, how many artists has he influenced? I mean, generations and it's still going. So... There are, but there are, I feel like there are aspects, sometimes curators overlook in, in lieu of much more commercial and blockbuster. And I feel like he has aspects of his work that are dark and almost sinister and interesting. Mm -hmm. And I like, I've seen exhibitions. I used to work when I was little 
thing. I worked at um, a gallery guide at a contemporary art center in Australia, and one of the films was they screened um, a video of Empire State Building, and I had to, and it was 24 hours, so you couldn't go into a museum and lay down and watch it. And I had to um, guide, like stand there. So I've seen it, you can imagine. Oh um, my God. But you know what? The mes- That's amazing. You're probably I've the seen only person. The sunset to sunrise, the whole thing. I think you're the only thing. person I've met that's it actually seen the whole thing. I, that is my favorite work of Andy Warhol. Simply because I, I, wow. I worked, but I actually really got into it and really, there was something so stunning about, generally it's New York, it's black and white, it's that nostalgia to it. But it's also that cycle of time. You get into this mesmeric state, which I think, you know, the slow film, the slow thing that he did then sleeping. So I saw all of these films and it was a whole thing, whole museum. That's what's interesting to me. Yeah. He went for the, he really stretched those parameters of movies and films. Video, that's video art. Absolutely. Like when it came out, the 80s Porta Pack, you know, like that's fascinating. So it's like he does, a person that makes that can't believe entirely in the American capitalist system because it goes against everything Uh that film and performance and spectacle and expectation of entertainment is about. And it's hard to sell. Like, what do you, right. it's not immediate. It's not gratifying. Gratify. You don't no. get immediate gratification, no. which you get with Brilla Box and Marilyn Monroe, you know. But he also understood both. I feel like, um, he himself constructed, he's a very much a character and a persona. Um, for us to be like, oh, it's Andy with a wig and a hamburger. But- and this whole construct itself of him, the, uh, you know, Andy, uh, or Jamie, Andrew Warhola, and then he cuts off the A. And- yes. Uh, you know, not maybe not everyone knows about his nose plastic surgery that he's performed. Oh, I did not. I didn't uh, know about that. <laughs> and the wig that he was wearing. He was yeah. obsessed with editing and and you know uh, uh, curating his self as a persona all his life. And, and aren't we doing that mm-hmm. today on Instagram and social media? We're all curating. We're right. all our very. This own, is where uh, I f- I'm fascinated by Andy's persona because mm-hmm. I think he was looking ahead, so ahead of his mm-hmm. time. And this is where I would love a show that looks at that, like his that persona aspect, of right. ahead the of time, the constructed mm-hmm. internet, that framing that we do today. Um, what does that mean to the marketing of the self? I mean, how fascinating and how weird he looks then but now is so normal almost like oh mm-hmm. there's this persona curated online i i just i find it really i wish i you know more of that would come he through. did create the brand for yeah. his own persona yeah. definitely definitely with using all of the commercial tools and all of the you know popular culture yeah um you know methods accessible then and he was really the researcher like Looking at everything that was around from but he was also an art director. I mean, and if you think the fact, like yes, all of this, he understood celebrity it. culture way before early, early days when he used their power to make him famous. I mean, mm. it was if you look at like the Kardashians and all that business, it's all following that. You know, the, the, it's all. So I think I would love that kind of show where let's talk about today and then and personification and. Commodification and, and branding. I, and I think to, to a certain extent from like resonating with what you were talking about, you know, this, um, idea of a immigrant 
and trying to fit, never fitting in and trying all these different ways of fitting, of belonging, of launching mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. So there's a certain sensitivity that you that you condition in yourself mm-hmm. to be receptive to these, you know, changes that you follow and observe with a very sensitive eye um, and this discipline. Thinking about him, I always think, you know, him being as a child in that small apartment and he's catholic parents with and, his mom and his the, mom and his mother right who he lived with all his life uh you know he's a he was he was a child of uh, czechoslovakian then mm-hmm. uh, czechoslovakian uh immigrants and uh, his father was a minor and a uh, very catholic family they had a crucifix on the wall so that pietish kind of you know mm. determined determination mm-hmm. to you know to to study you know to how to overcome that original sense of belonging, how to recreate yourself and belong in a new world. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always yeah. think about the point of departure and that mm-hmm. also, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the plastic surgery and the sort of like, uh, you know, self-inflicted in, pain, the guilt, you know, the Catholic guilt reflecting in that. Mm-hmm. It, I, I think, I think it comes from, from that as, you know, I mean, in Sarah Lucas, for example, like she comes from a punk, mm. you know, yeah, background, yeah. very liberated, very uh, standing, you know, creating the new grounds, new perspective and the young British artists. All of these people in that collective, including, you know, uh, Damien Hirst and mm. Tracy Emin, they became they became very famous, oh, very yeah. big, yeah. very quickly. I mean, Damien is one of the richest. And they kind of used the punk as yeah. the vehicle for that mm-hmm. uh, i mean knowing that punk kind of comes from it, 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 it the culture of punk is launched in great britain you know in the oink movement mm-hmm. like working class as well but she used that popular you know the com- the commercial yeah. of punk in a different way yeah and actually she came of age during thatcherism uh, which saw a very low employment rate and mm-hmm. so they were kind of they were kind of outside the system because of that economic system. And um, I think that probably well, really had an impact on them. I, mm-hmm. I wanted to just read a really quick bio of Sarah for our listeners, because I think that Andy Warhol is such a household name and so ubiquitous. I think yeah, most I, people kind of get, enough. <laughs> get, get an idea, but I feel like Sarah maybe deserves a little bit of background. So um, Sarah Lucas has created a wide-ranging body of work over the past 30 years that remains relevant and continues to push boundaries. She was a visible part of the scene of young British artists at the end of the 80s through the early 90s and since, from the time she ran her six-month shop project in 1993 with the artist Tracy Emin. During that time, she had some of her first important shows, such as at the Saatchi Gallery and Freeze exhibition in London. Some of her other standout exhibitions since then have been at the Freud Museum in 2000, the White Chapel in 2013, and representing Britain at the Venice Biennale in 2015, which Katya you mentioned you yes. saw. She works in a wide range of media, self-portrait photography that depicts her androgynous tomboyish persona, and large tabloid newspapers that explore the kind of darker undertones of pop culture, and sculptural works that are stand-ins for the human body. Her work often references male and female genitalia, including sexual innuendo and visual puns. She challenges the art historical idea of the male gaze with 
humor and gutsiness. Hmm. And, um, yeah, we didn't really talk about her sexual innuendos, of which is really quite rife. They're, well, many they're, of they're her work. really yeah. right there. I mean, the banana poster, which you can buy still at the new museum. I mean, it's, <laughs> which it's, I find really it's just so literal. Like with the pro- yeah. uh, Project 22, uh, two fried eggs and a kebab yes. on the wood table. That's from 1992. I actually love that photo. How... It's so wonderful how in her work, you know, being heavy handed with the found object and mm-hmm. the, you know, the appropriation, uh, it's and the ready made. And how can you be so funny and uh, so direct and heavy handed at the same time, mm-hmm. but also, you know, comment on like, you know, and be subversive about, you know, like the, the definitions of like what defines sexuality and. And for a woman's identity, that's very much identity. female point of view. Um, I remember that video where she eats a sausage in the in the in the museum. It's a small screen, and she just was in the corner somewhere. But something about that the way it's like a banana. It's like again, there's this phallic thing that the woman's consuming. Um, and apparently, her boyfriend at the time just filmed her somewhere in an apartment or backyard. I don't remember. Um, but the way she's consuming it, it's such direct simple thing but there's something also about sarah i do think it's also her gaze and the way she looks you know with the kebab and the the eggs she's looking at us she her legs are spread she's in jeans she's in a t-shirt but these eggs these kind of you know deflated boobs right like you mm-hmm. just can't help but look but don't we experience it all as women, it was like, yeah, you're looking at my boobs again. I mean, hello. But she's looking directly at the audience. There's something there that she's commenting on mm-hmm. that goes so deep and so direct. And actually, sometimes I really appreciate that in, in, um, in art where it's right there. Mm-hmm. Um, you just kind of get reminded and you get this feeling from it, which I get that feeling. Um, and I really like that photo and, and the photo with the banana. Again, she's looking at us, but she's like coy and, and nice and, just kind of looking at us, and and when I I was in a new museum, yeah, we were yeah we were there recently for um Nary Ward show. Um, I walk into a bookshop and there's her poster right there with banana. You can buy it. Um, I just laughed out loud yeah. almost because I chuckled because there's Sarah, you know, reminding us that we are actually living in a very phallic oriented patriarchal society. That's what she's doing. She's very direct. She's she's mimicking a pinup, a celebrity. Mm. It's very direct. She's pretty. She's young, but she <laughs> this banana, <laughs> very sexualized. Um, and also, why can't a woman like this thing of women eating bananas? I actually, I I feel it. I don't know if you've ever feel felt it, but if you open a banana in like yes. on the subway, oh my god, like the men are looking at you. Yeah, they think I, I've actually experienced that once on a summer day. I was eating a banana mm. and someone thought that by me eating banana, it was like a sexual um, invitation. invitation. Wow. Like, oh, you're eating a banana. Like you're eating a banana because you yeah, want so I a will, banana? I will not <laughs> eat a banana. So I have this thing hours. and it drives me insane because I love bananas as a snack. Mm. What the hell? I mean... I- <laughs> I, I was just eating banana on the subway today. They're usually <laughs> on the way. See, here. the thing is, if you, cr- if you, and, if you break it off and eat and it, I was it's different than if you, different. If you take the whole banana. Like how she does it. It's, it's about how you eat yeah. that yes. banana. Yes. I was totally oh. celebrating it. Like, you know. <laughs> 
You will next time pay it. Look, look around. Very yes, that's I, what I did. Look I looked I'll at find every really- guy on the subway platform and doing it very slowly. <laughs> you should do a video thinking, thinking about the yellow and uh, uh, um, uh, in Sarah Lucas' work. There's a lot of ready mates like that, like yeah. the toilets, for example. Yeah. You know, mm. like having how she's like fetishizing the toilet, having the curvature and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, of the mm-hmm. uh, sexualized object. And in terms of her work, it's like they are also transitional objects, but mm-hmm. in a different way mm-hmm. uh, than in, in, in your work. Mm-hmm. Um, they they cross that boundary of the public-private, the intimate, you yes. know, and like the public. And also like with the desexualized or depersonified figures of like the ancient, you know, kind of idea of the ancient sculpture in that part of the space where, uh, where where she showed the plaster figures with the cigarette butts. Mm. Oh, that's right. You know, in buttholes. It's her friends, apparently. She talked about it in the talk. With pieces of furniture. Again, like uh, she always incorporates like a piece of furniture and Mm -hmm. then the figure, which is like deheaded or Mm -hmm. totally, you know, mutilated, not depersonified. Mm -hmm. And I see, you know, reference to like these ancient kind of kuroses, you know, the Greek or Roman order or whatever. But, uh, you know, they are maybe not in contraposto or anything like that. But mm-hmm. uh, they do quote the plaster, the kind of ancient aesthetic of the figure, which is like uh, fractured by the domestic framing. So like the extension of the edge of the table, you know, Mm -hmm. cuts Mm -hmm. off like the rest of the narrative of the figure and it it becomes like this copy and paste or like an excerpt or a Mm. clip from like a narrative of a domestic contraction of uh, whatever imposes limitation on expressive expression of sexuality in a domestic setting. Those figures mean, Mm -hmm. you know, also that, that like devalued human uh, sexuality in, in those remember they're all women so to me yeah. it's devaluing women there's completely. men as well in there's, that. oh um, yeah her, her partner so her partner is mm-hmm. um in that video where she is that the video where she cracks eggs oh on her on, the on him on and him. he's on display oh that's okay I didn't yeah know so it's reversal she talked <clears throat> about it it's reversal of mm-hmm. usually it's the female that's so mm-hmm. passive mm-hmm. and on display and mm-hmm. here's Mm-hmm. And then she, yeah, the penis, like this yeah. whole like touching mm-hmm. of the phallic. So there's a lot of phallic. Um, and he's, yeah, I think he's cast in that too. But she talks about having her female friends gather up and she just casts, you know, she's like having a party and then cast mm-hmm. them. Um, and it's not necessarily, she wasn't talking about necessarily having like domestic female anything, but it's more, it's still there to me that it's, it's a very much, a embodied feminine space because it's domestic and because it's it's kind of it's pretty brutal in terms of how she you know stuck a cig- stuck a cigarette in the butthole <laughs> so, um and there's something there it's also funny there's this mm-hmm. very almost toilet humor which is very um it's british it's funny it's i don't know there's something it's boy humor almost where she uses the toilet sometimes you know, it's very masculine. So she plays with that toilet humor, which I find uh, really interesting. But also she mentioned Duchamp. So you can't forget that she's actually making comment on the urinal. 
um, as a female artist. Oh, I think it's obvious. Very good when, point. Yes, yes. And also that correlation between her work and surrealism. Oh, it's right there. I, I really, um, she talks about that. She talks about Duchamp as having a direct influence. Um, and I think and Warhol is in there. Duchamp is yeah. in there. I mean, she's, as a female artist, we all come from art history and most of them, it's male art history because that's what we've been taught. I feel that too. I look to male artists because I've been taught to look at them, right? So to me, I have to retrain even myself who's a feminist and nowadays mostly look at female artists. I still feel their influence mm-hmm. and their um, aesthetics and humor and the way art history handles them as icons and gods. Yeah. So she is making a point of saying, well, here's my urinal, but I'm going to be funny yeah. about it and going to be, you know. His, here are my several toilets <laughs> and here are my like classical sculptures and Greek sculptures. So again, um, she is quite subversive. Yeah. Of one of the mediums yeah. that I feel like she really, um, made her own is the egg. Mm. Like I feel like it runs through her work. And if I can, if there's one word that I would say, like I have to describe her work, mm-hmm. I would probably. Maybe I would say the egg. I might, it would be like one mm. of the top, that medium. And, and of course there's a legacy with that too. There's egg tempera, mm-hmm. which is the, oh, the, the first painting yeah. technique yes. before oil painting. Oh yeah. And it's very varied. In other words, like it's, it's very layered. Centuria, mm-hmm. you know, they use the mm-hmm. egg. Mm-hmm. She's using it as a, um, a mystical object and then an art object and kind mm-hmm. of fusing those two vernaculars. Well, I think I remember object. this, this uh, question someone asked her about using an essentialist. You know what I mean by essentialist? The feminist essential, the accusation of being essentialist using eggs as metaphor for, um, ovaries and female reproductive, female reproductive and breaking the meaning period. Yes. And losing that's, that's children. what the egg right. is, yes. symbolizes for me, like, you know, the, the female uh, reproductive mm-hmm, organs mm-hmm. And, and the sort and of her, it's, freedom. It's all of that. It's all, it's of, all that. of that. It's so much more than that, though. Like she mentioned, like it is a whole thing. It's not, oh, I'm just doing this right. gesture. It's not one. There's not one. There's so, it, it is a historic, it's been with us forever. It is a medium. And, it's, and the, but the fact that she asked women to, Smash eggs against the wall. Yeah, and a thousand perform- eggs. Give us the century back. With yeah, like one one egg a day. Yeah, you know, like just <laughs> go for and going. And what it. I like that it wasn't a private performance. It wasn't public performance, mm. right? So it was unseen. Again, but, there's a ritualistic yes, kind yes. of aspect and to I that. Feel um, that's that's interesting to me. That's a version of it too. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting you mentioned all the tableau of the male artists that she may mm-hmm. reference. <laughs> it's in Andy there. Warhol and uh, you know, uh, like uh, Jeff Koons and Duchamp. And Duchamp. But um, I actually see, you know, like the, the uh, half bodies and the soft like the soft limb, soft sculptures, uh, Louise Bourgeois. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, the African American artist, Senga Nanguri, yes. actually, do you oh, know lo- her? Oh, I love her. Work. So yes. how about we put, uh, oh, yes. <laughs> still <laughs> any other female oh, artists that you may reference? Course, because like, I, I'm thinking well, about even Tracy Emin is in there. Well, yeah. The, 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 direct, the sexual, yeah, but it, it's, they influenced each other quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So, so with the last few minutes, I just wanted to um, give us a short background to Katya Rahofsky's work. Thank you so much for joining us in this conversation. It's been so productive and amazing. 
Katja is an interdisciplinary artist, um, process-based practice, combining painting, drawing, sculpture, installation, performance, and video to explore issues of gender, labor, alienation, and displacement, the self, often employing the body as a tool to interweave the personal and the political. She is in process of organizing the Immigrant Artists Biennale, T-I-A-B, which is to be announced, but it's a future mm-hmm. project. And she has two upcoming exhibitions. The first is the a solo exhibition entitled Privately Owned from May 10th through July 18th at the New City Gallery created by Overnight Projects in Burlington, Vermont. So go check it out if you live there. And another group show called Re-On-Site at the Boiler in Williamsburg on May 18th through June 18th with five uh, female artists. And it's organized by two female curators, Bat Ami Rivlin and A. Young Yu. And um, I'd ask Isabella to um, describe briefly the, the, her upcoming April 5th exhibition at One Eyed Studios that also includes Katya's work. Yeah, which is the falling through and uh, going after the sublime, going after, uh, you know, the, the idea of a paradise in rendering of the landscape and the body, mapping out the landscape, transgressing, subverting the status quo. There's going to be five artists and Katja Rechowska is one of the, the main artists. Uh, she's going to perform on April 5th at eight o'clock. And there's going to be five uh, artists total, Sarah Nicole Fullman, Ashling Hamrush, and Sarah Lee, and myself. There's also going to be a panel discussion, unpacking some of the dense ideas uh, relating to the, the body and the landscape uh, in the show, moderated by amazing artist uh, Coco Dole. And that's on April 26th. So stay tuned for that and um, looking forward to seeing you that sounds um, amazing. on the opening April 5th, opening at 7, performance at 8. Looking forward to how the figure will overcome all of those shortcomings of what landscape has to offer in its and peripheries. Thank you. Thank, thank you so you. much for joining thank us. For Thanks for having me. Thank you for being so generous. And time. you're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. Thank you. Thank you.